I, ho- I hope the tech guy shows up today. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love it. <laughs> Man from Lang, you're on a roll today. <laughs> Dude, he was on a roll. He was on a roll the other day too. Yeah. Shit, man. <laughs> he had dad jokes for days last episode. <laughs> DJFD. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're recording already. What? Yeah. Oh. Nate slips that shit in like a ninja. Yep. <laughs> it's like it's like how a photographer. It's like he's our tech guy. Know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if I said three, two, one, go, I wouldn't capture it in the moment. That's true. It's like the observer effect, you know? It's like once you know you're being watched, you act differently. Did you say the observer effect? I could see that. Yeah, observer effect. (laughs) A a fantastic scenario for Delta Green roleplay. Yes. Yes, it is. Speaking of Delta Green, when are we going to play some more Delta Green? Oh, yes. Well, I'm I'm ready whenever you guys are. We should we should consider doing I, that soon. I'll put a schedule for it. I'll post and, and fill it out with some patrons. So, why are we here today, Nate? Why well, is any uh, of us here today? Oh, you were getting into the episode. I thought you were getting metaphysical. Oh, I thought he was too. I was going to be like, well, uh, I'm here because uh, my mom met a tech guy. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, actually. <laughs> There's a lot of tech guys in New Hampshire, I hear. That's actually true. There's actually a lot of small uh, tech companies that, that are based out of New Hampshire. Fun fact. Um, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're here to do a bit of a, I guess, a rant. More of a discussion, I guess, about a, a recent YouTube... Uh, review of Arkham Horror the Card Game by No Pun Included. Review in quotes. A review. Yeah, and we kind of wanted to just go over the review itself, uh, touch on their original review, and kind of just give our general uh, general thoughts and rebuttals to their to the review. So, Vase, um, since you seem to be very vocal about all of this, why don't you go ahead and start off with just the beginning of the review, I guess. Okay. Um, for those who are not familiar, no pun included, reviews board games. That's really what their cha- YouTube channel is all about. They'd reviewed Arkham Horror, the card game, uh, a few years ago, and they didn't really rate it very highly, and that's totally fine. Their biggest issue was, like, the chaos bag. Uh, they didn't really care for that, and, and a couple of other minor things. Um, but they've updated... Uh, their review for it now that there's so many more products out for it and put out a new series of videos right now they just put out one video but they've made it clear that there's more coming where they claim to review every single arkham horror the card game product and well um, those of you who have played arkham or who are fans of arkham like we are uh, didn't take it very well <laughs> their review uh in parts was fair, but in most of it was very unfair or misrepresented or, you know, they made major mistakes in their review, which can lead people who've never played the game to get a, a wrong idea as to what the game is and, and, you know, all the aspects of it. Well, I mean, they start the whole thing off by saying, 
Whilst we found it to be full of exciting ideas, the poor campaign structure, uninspired implementation of luck, and uninteresting card choices left us wanting for much more. Yeah, they, they start off really bad, which we'll, we'll get into each of those points uh, individually as we go through this discussion. But the first thing that I wanted to mention is in the video uh, title, they say we review almost every Arkham Horror, the card game product. Um, and in the actual video itself, they say we review every, I mean, it's literally in the first 10 seconds, the guy says, I just finished all of Arkham Horror, the card game. Uh, literally everything, that's what they say. But then at two minutes in, immediately they're like, well, we didn't play the standalones and we didn't get the return to boxes. Um, <laughs> and, and it's like, wait a minute, or I'm sorry, at five minutes in, they do that. And it's like, well, if you're going to do a review where you're claiming to review every product, review every product, you know, or at least in the video, not just in the title, say that you're reviewing most of the stuff, but there are things that you that you left out. But it's not until five minutes in in the video where they say that they didn't review the standalones, and which there are six of if you include Labyrinths of, of Lunacy. So that's quite a few products that they've missed. And... um they also said that the return to products, of which there are three, so that's nine total products out of the line of Arkham Horror. That's a significant chunk. They dismissed them, right? They said, we heard on good authority yeah. the return to series isn't very good. They just kind of instantly poo-pooed that. We decided to omit the special standalone scenarios because they're a bit niche and hard to come by, and we're not covering the return to expansions because, frankly, playing 19 more games of largely the same thing doesn't sound very productive, and we hear they're actually not very good. And that's what I was going to get at. They, they literally said we didn't review it because we heard they weren't very good, which is crazy to me because, uh, you know, I kind of agree they're not great. They're probably the least compelling of the products. The whole purpose of an in-depth review is to help viewers determine if the rumors are true or if it's something that they want to buy. And by leaving those products out, they're doing a huge disservice, especially when they claim that they're reviewing everything Arkham Horror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think uh, Nathan kind of touched on, on it best. Is It's not really so much that they didn't review the products themselves. It's more that they claim to to like have this sort of objective standard when reviewing the game, but clearly they just kind of whoever whoever told them that it wasn't good, they just took that at face value and didn't actually care to do diligence like they said they would. Exactly. Just take someone's word for it that oh it's not very good, so we might as well not review it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh starting off on their actual review, uh the very beginning at two minutes and twenty seconds in um, they mentioned that you'll be losing a lot and they, they say it kind of, you know, in a bad way, but it is pretty on point. I mean, you do lose a lot in the game. Each round you'll place doom tokens on agenda cards until they eventually reach a threshold, advance and introduce more nasty surprises. Advance too many and you've lost the game, which is a fair place to start because you will be losing a lot. Winning, on the other hand, is more nebulous. But they're missing like a major aspect of the game that should be included in that comment when you're reviewing it. Because anyone who's not used to something like Arkham Horror, the card game, would immediately think that, well, you're just going to lose every single game and that's it. You know, it's game over, end of everything. What they don't really explain until they briefly just glaze over it later in the video is that 
in Arkham Horror, when you lose, you don't really lose. I mean, that's just part of the game. When you lose, it's not game over. You take trauma and you continue the story. It just adds another element of the narrative to the story. You went insane temporarily and then you came back with a little bit of trauma. You got a major injury, but then you come back in the next scenario with a little trauma. There's not that many scenarios where when you lose, it's game over. And I think they really messed up on that when they said that in the very beginning of their of their review. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think um, I think that it's it's strange because they they say that winning is sort of nebulous, but then they they lay out like clear objectives on how you're supposed to win the game. So so I find it sort of confusing that they would that they would kind of imply that. That like how you win the game is nebulous, but then go about explaining the conditions of how to win the game. Well, to be fair though, what do they mostly review? They mostly review board games, right? And in most board games, it's get this many points, do this stuff. Whereas Matt Newman specifically said, people are going to be thrown off at first because it's not always just beat the bad guy, get the thing, right? There's going to be times where you do as much as you can and then you can leave whenever you want. So, in fact, their argument is valid. It is not a clear-cut victory all the time. But that's part of the fun, right? That's part of the getting into the game and sussing out the, the victory conditions. Yeah, but I think that's that's not to say that your objective isn't laid out when you, like, when you set the scenario up, right? Like, if you take the gathering as an instance, for instance, um, you know, your, your objective is pretty clear from the second from the second you read the act deck, it says, you know, get enough clues to get out of the study. And then as you progress, you learn what each goal is. Right. I think ultimately you could really boil down most of the game to, you know, fight the baddies, get the clues and clear the objective. To a degree. But if you're, if you're extending into a campaign mode, I kind of see where Nathan's going with this. And I kind of agree with both of you. Um, it, I mean, they laid it out as a black and white thing, like winning is nebulous, but the game is is a combination of a board game and a role-playing game. And a role-playing game, everybody who's played a role-playing game knows there are objectives in a role-playing game, but really the whole point of a role-playing game is narrative or cooperative storytelling. And I think this game kind of falls in that. It's not as open-ended as, say, you know, Delta Green or Dungeons & Dragons or Call of Cthulhu. You can't just do whatever you want and go talk to, you know, your neighbor or something like that. That doesn't happen in this game. But well, that'd be awesome. <clears throat> Side quest: Go talk to your neighbor. <laughs> the door is ajar. There's blood on the floor. Damn it! I spent an experience points to talk to my neighbor, thinking I just get some fat loot. <laughs> you should make a scenario called Side Point or Side Note Side Quest. I think that would scenario one point five. <laughs> but you know, the whole point is that it's it's a combination of the two. So you're not just what you're you're telling a story. So. Even your investigator dying, you've told the story of how they how they perish, what happened. You know, I think I think there's more to it than that. Like it sparks imagination as you're playing of all the things that are occurring as you know as the game is progressing. Unlike a board game that's mostly mechanics with a little bit of flavor, I think this is more on the high end of flavor, closer to a role playing game. You know, kind of a mix of the two. I think. Six forty-five in into the video. They complain. 
Couple that with any card worth its salt being very expensive and you constantly coming short on resources, and then couple that with cards frequently being one-use affairs that disappear like fleeting mirages of an oasis in a desert infested with giant tentacles. My big gripe with this complaint is that it's a deck-building game, so these guys seem like they've played more than just board games. Like These guys seem like they're familiar with deck-building games because... On several of their past videos, they mentioned Magic the Gathering. So clearly they're familiar with deck building. Yeah, and in this video they mentioned Magic too. Yeah, exactly. Even in this one they did. Yeah, it's weird because I don't don't call a Magic Pokemon or this game a deck builder because the deck building mechanic is like Dominion Ascension where you're building your deck as you play. Mm This is just a game where you build your deck ahead of time, so that's kind of yeah. Like I would consider like Great Western Trail to be a deck building game, whereas like Arkham, you build a deck. Like it's a whole different aspect of actually playing the game. Like you're not like deck building isn't a part of actually physically playing the game. It's just a part of. It's one one yeah. It's not entirely all about the deck building. I see what you mean. Right. Right. Yeah. Um. But but my whole point is they're com- they're making a huge like point to say that you know the good cards you're never going to be able to play because they're too expensive to play and all this stuff. But you know like their their whole channel leads me to believe that they they should understand the concept of resource management and cost curve of your deck. Almost every deck building game has some kind of resource management or cost curve, like Magic the Gathering certainly does, right? So. I would think that they would like catch on that if you're finding yourself running low on resources all the time, maybe it's not a game problem, but you know, a bad deck or a deck that needs to be tweaked. So I feel again, that's an unfair representation. I wonder if they just used like starter deck examples. They didn't go into what decks they used, right? Well, I mean, agreed, but they, they went into the review saying that they're reviewing the game as a whole and a, a large part of the game, you know, a, a, a large part of the community online definitely really enjoys the deck building aspect of the game. So that is, that's not a small part of the game by any means. Sure, it's only a part of it because the scenarios are the other part, but the the deck building is a, a decent chunk, I would say at least a third of the fun of the game for a lot of people. So you're bringing up the cards and the fact that they're expensive, etc. But like, I want to hear from Nate or uh, Man from Lang with this quote. And the cards themselves feel particularly uninspired. Yes, there's tools in here that might excite you, but if you compare the cleverness of card design to other collectible card games, then in the words of Courtney Barnett, these feel pedestrian at best. Even if, even if you didn't love a game, to play that much of it and see that there's that big of a community. But like, I kind of like the people as they reviewed stuff. They definitely had some charisma and they did have some good points and they did know how to pace out a video. All of that I actually thought was really good, but it seems like they, it's almost like a food critic that really enjoys ways of putting food down. They really get off on that and using the words. I mean, using things like, I mean, I wrote down several words, uninspired, pedestrian, lackluster, lackadaisical, thoughtless, unimaginative. I mean, they said a lot of these words, careless, throughout the entire judge. Like, it seems that they were really trying to almost elevate themselves and their, their review style by saying words that were really cutting and hurting. And a lot of times that wasn't needed because they talked about the positives. So once again, 
The cards are uninspired and pedestrian at best. Nate or Man from Lang, what do you think of that quote? Well, I think it's, I mean, I've, en- I've enjoyed, no pun included, reviews in the past. And and uh, I'm, I guess I'd have to say I'm sad or disappointed by this one. Not so much because of what they had to say, but just because of a lot of the the seemingly unforced errors in the in the review um you know talking about specific cards like i think there's at one point they're talking about how you can put dario in a in a mark harrigan deck if you play as mark harrigan the soldier then your deck will feature such items as a trusty police buddy a trusty dog a trusty 45 automatic and a trusty um buddy named dario which is uh not true and then they have uh i think it's the derringer they can say you can use your agility instead of your combat to to fight with it which isn't true um they talk about how lola is a great solo investigator which i would strongly disagree with um and then you i mean the the cards being uninspired i mean these cards are based on sort of 1920s tropes so i'm not sure what kind of cards they would expect i mean we have things like leather coat and trench coat and you know the weapons that were of the time um flashlight like i'm i'm not sure what kind of cards they want or they sort of expect the game to have yeah, that's that's how I feel too. And I think that comment was kind of more specifically made at the corset cards, which also kind of makes me scratch my head a little bit because you want the corset cards to be simple to understand so that you can, you know, like understand the game and play it properly. Like sure, like some cards may not be the most like exciting to look at at face value, but but that, yeah, I think that criticism kind of comes off, um, I guess, disingenuously. Like, it doesn't... I'm not really sure what they're trying to say by saying that the cards are uh, uninspired or pedestrian. Well, pedestrian. if they're referring to the base game cards, the quote, I wouldn't recommend the Arkham Horror Living Card Game base to anyone came up. Yeah, I was going to get to that, but we can talk about it. Um, that was like their recommendation was to not recommend the core set. What do you guys think? Yeah, and and when they say that, they you know they like make a a kind of snide remark that like you have to buy the corset in order to play the game, and it's like uh, I'm not really sure like what they were expecting out of the corset. It like it kind of makes me feel like they had some sort of like expectation, like kind of sort of false expectation going into it to begin with, and I think part of it is that when they did their most recent video, like they already didn't like the corset to begin with so it kind of feels like they're trying to like draw blood out of a stone so to speak you know with the corset at least in in their own opinion anyway i you know i personally don't feel that the corset is a bad product to purchase you know it 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 makes a lot of sense i think nathan said it in one of our most recent episodes about how the corset was priced at a particular point to to make it more accessible to players on a financial perspective well, yes, it is unfortunate that you have to buy two to play with it with four people. You know, it it is worthwhile in the long run, I think, for a 
for somebody that likes to play the game. And I think the scenarios are good, too. I, I do agree with their assessment on the difficulty level of the corset, as it does very clearly ramp up in difficulty pretty extremely from scenarios two to three. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was sadly completely accurate. That, I was going to mention that because that's part of why they said they don't recommend it. They say that the ramp, not the difficulty of all the scenarios, but the ramp up in difficulty from one to the next is um, pretty harsh. But I, I think it's a crazy comment because it, honestly, it's, it's one of the best-selling games out there right now. Uh, so clearly there's some kind of disconnect because... You know, they're saying maybe they're saying that it's selling because of the expansions. I don't know if that's what they think, but you know, it's it's easy to, to remind them if you're a fan of Arkham Horror that you know they themselves said that it's required to play the game to buy the core set. And so clearly, if the game is so popular, there are quite a few people that did like the core set. Um, not just that, but I agree with you guys, and I agree with them on the difficulty ramp. Definitely um, is something that. That is not great. You know, it can throw some people off. But they also said that none of the scenarios are very good. But I kind of disagree with that. If you ask most people what their top three scenarios are, you get a lot of people saying that Midnight Masks is, you know, or if you say top five scenarios, Midnight Mask is going to come up over and over and over again. It's a very beloved scenario still to this day. Yeah, um, I mean, I went back and I watched their their first video, and it's it's pretty clear that they had a very mixed mixed reaction to the the core set, and they and they didn't uh, they didn't really like it and couldn't recommend it. And one of the reasons for that was because they they disliked the chaos bag mechanic, and so when they seeing that and then seeing them come back to to re re-review the game. I sort of just asked myself, why are they bothering to re-review the game when the one of the primary mechanics, which they disliked, the chaos bag, is still there? Their their reason for disliking the game in the first place hasn't changed. Well, they no, they said they they basically reversed their judgment on the chaos bag. They quite clearly took a minute to be like, you know, we didn't like this at first. But it grew on us. They said Dunwich made them change their mind because you you add tokens throughout the throughout certain scenarios, like in the middle of the scenario, and they like that aspect of it. But but I also got the the impression from them that they're basically saying once you learn how. I mean, I think they make the point that once you learn how to game the chaos bag, the game falls apart. One once you know what you need to pass a test. Then it, then the game. So basically, they're saying the game is too hard, and then once you learn how to game the chaos bag, it's too easy because you know how. Okay, I need a minus two, so I'll just manage to pump my test to, to minus two uh, to plus two, and then you know I pass. Okay, now I'm now I'm just cruising through this scenario, easy peasy. And to me, I mean, I like the chaos bag mechanic because it part of it is 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 gaming the chaos bag and trying to mitigate the amount of risk that you're, that you're engaging in. And sure, there are going to be times when you're unable to do that and you're going to have to take a test that's not, uh, that you would prefer not to take, but the game is constantly forcing them on you. Right. I think we can all agree that their comments and their discoveries are part of a, are part of a, a chart, right? Because I think a lot of people when they very first start playing, are thrown off, maybe, by how hard the game can be. They're thrown off by using the Chaos Bag, 
So that was their initial reactions, like, whoa, right? And then they're like, well, hold on a second. The cast bag's actually not that bad. It's kind of cool. We can totally game it. Because I think a lot of people feel that right away when they start passing some tests or, or getting some synergies with their cards. But over time, you get to that almost earned wisdom from failures and successes of, sure, you can quote-unquote game the bag for a while, but you're going to have streaks of bad luck and you're going to have streaks of good luck and there's always the instant fail. So I don't think they reviewed that third evolution of thought, if that makes sense. That that does make sense. And I totally can see where you're coming from or where, you know, that mentality that you're putting yourself in, in their minds there. Um, as a new player, if you just happen to buy that and you're playing and you have no idea what you're getting yourself into, it can throw you off. But at the same time, if you're buying a game called Arkham Horror you kind of know a little bit more what you're getting yourself into, which it's going to bring me to my next point. You're thrust into the shoes of an incompetent buffoon that is surrounded by otherworldly monsters desperately searching for anything that is remotely in any way, shape or form useful. Where I don't know where they're getting that from. I mean, it's like if anyone who's read horror books, watched horror movies, horror shows, this game is exactly presented in the same way. It's horror. That's how it works. You're a regular person who's been thrust into a situation where like unimaginable horrors are suddenly thrown at you and they're a reality that you didn't even know existed. And suddenly you're scrambling for a way out or a way to defeat them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're an incompetent buffoon. And just as an example to throw in there, any movie or show, like, you know, those of you who've watched it, right? So were the kids in the losers club incompetent buffoons because they were trying uh, to spoilers. Yeah. I haven't spoiled anything. Uh, so were the kids in the losers club incompetent buffoons because they're trying to figure out a way to either, you know, get away from this thing or fight this thing. Right. Was Ripley from alien in- incompetent buffoon because she was scared and screaming and maybe suffered some mental trauma initially when she found out there was an alien creature and all the space Marines who were badasses all got killed. Like, and that is a spoiler. Sorry about that. Um, it's a horror game, just like any horror story that's being told. There are things that are stacked against you and it doesn't mean that you're a stumbling buffoon. I mean, I think that was such a, such a major uh, misrepresentation of the character. Well, hold on. That that's what I, it gets back to my original point I was saying earlier. I think they were trying to to get elicit reactions by saying very very slamming comments instead of mm-hmm. like hey you know it kind of feels like this. Nope, it's like bam, worst idea ever. Don't recommend this to anyone. They go to extremes. I think because either they think in extremes or they're trying to elicit certain reactions from the audience and they got reactions right definitely (laughs) yeah i mean we're here making this podcast episode about this video so so maybe we're the guinea pigs and they're the scientists what what do you guys feel about the incompetent buffoon comment i i personally took like i was taken aback by that comment um when they talked about the investigators being incompetent buffoon that you're just playing an incompetent buffoon in this game where you don't stand a chance i just felt like when they said that we were being thrust into the shoes of an incompetent buffoon, that like they were talking about themselves in that particular instance. Oh, you felt like they were no, well, or you're you're saying that uh, I was trying to make a joke. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that <laughs> that, that joke just like flew over there, flew over the landing spot though. Sadly, 
um, but to be to be more serious though about your point, um, yeah, I mean it's just kind of like I think it's more like what Nathan said. You know, they're they're just using they're using words to elicit a response out of the out of the viewer. You know, and I I think it's more just kind of the the grandiose YouTubing kind of style that a lot of reviewers have. I think Shut Up and Sit Down kind of does that sort of thing where they, you know, they use a myriad of words, myriad of words to describe a pretty basic concept. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of strange. I do feel like the investigators of Arkham are generally pretty competent people, like from a, from a role-playing perspective, but it's kind of more of a nitpick in, in their whole, uh, in their whole video, I feel. I guess the, the the only thing that would concern me is that if they left, if if they leave the impression with people who watch it, who pick up the the corset, and their and their complaints about the corset are, are perfectly legitimate, and I think FFG recognized that when they when they released Marvel Champions and they included a you know full set of cards in the game. Um, but when they sort of suggest that the investigators that you play are not very good. I think that leaves a, I mean, sure, you can say, you look at Wendy, right, and say, oh, she's got one one combat, she's not very good. Well, I mean, I've built and played a deck that can kill the experiment with her. So, you know, looks can be deceiving. So I think that the the investigators are quite competent and quite quite able to do, you know, pretty much anything that you would you would like to do with them, given... You know, if you build a deck with them, and that's part of the game, right? Is building a deck. Hmm. And I think I think that this review, like, entirely misses that aspect of it. You know, I think I think maybe Nathan said it earlier, but um, but it seems like they just kind of took the starter decks of whatever investigator they picked and just went with it. Well, they didn't talk about how building decks differently changes things drastically. Right? They didn't touch on that. What they did say... To add insult to the very robust injury of a game system that frequently renders you ineffective, your deck is designed to work against you. And, and it's interesting because I've always looked at it as, in real life, people have triggers. People have... PTSD, anxiety, people have issues or or experiences in their life that make them that unique person, right? So they didn't talk about how a majority of the deck is stuff to help you. But just like real life, the deck represents a person. It represents their life. And there are things that come up and you have to deal with them. And I think that's a really... God, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not even it's sublime aspect of the game. It's really cool how that comes out but they didn't kind of get into that which is once again not necessarily their fault since they're not diehard fans of the game but they also didn't play enough to kind of get to that realization of the cast bag they didn't get to that point where they they felt that their characters were not just you know buffoons or whatever they didn't get to that point where they talked about the deck construction and how that makes a difference but in a, in a deck building game where a huge part of it is deck building i mean that, that you would think they would cover that a little bit more now the deck working against you since you mentioned that you know like you just mentioned maybe they should have delineated it where if you were using the starter decks maybe but 
you know, again, if the deck is working against you, there's only one person to blame since you built the deck, right? So, Well, I think it just goes back to their the first review where they, I mean, they really didn't like the weakness mechanic. And I think that's when they talk about your deck working against you, they're referring there primarily to the weakness mechanic and how you can, how you can, um, I mean, you start the start a campaign off with at least two weaknesses, and then you'll be adding more weaknesses throughout the throughout the the campaign. Now, weaknesses can certainly some weaknesses are more debilitating than others, but um, generally speaking, I mean, to say that you're because you have one card in a 30 card one or two cards in a 30 card deck that are negative cards that your deck is suddenly um ill prepared to tackle a scenario is not just ill prepared working actively working against you the entire yeah, deck I, I think mean, that's, that's that's i mean you're that's just not that's not the case i think i mean nobody nobody likes to draw a weakness certainly when you could draw i mean they they tax your card draw and prevent you from getting the things that you need. But um, a lot of the time you draw them and deal with them and move on. And um, one thing they did get right, he said... um, And if you haven't failed, that's a heck of a moment because you'll feel like you've climbed Mount Everest, even though all you've actually done is just busted down a door without, you know, breaking your elbow. When you don't fail, you feel like you've climbed Mount Everest. And I feel like there, for a moment at least, they got it. They got, you know, they got what the game is about. That feeling when you actually succeed on something that you really had very little chance of succeeding on or the odds were stacked against you. You do feel like you climbed Mount Everest, right? I mean, that's, I think, what a lot of people love about this game when they're able to to pull something off like that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and part of that is gaming the bag too, right? Like if you, you know, like going to our previous comments about how how the bag is generally like you want to be plus two on a standard bag up and you can create those situations for yourself, right? Like by playing by playing smart, you can, you know, put yourself in a situation where, well, well if I draw anything, you know, other than the the zero or a plus one, I lose. And sure enough, you know, like you've you've set you set yourself up to to have those lucky draws what are your oh sorry go ahead but i was just you know i was just gonna say you know like they they make multiple examples like man from lang said earlier about you know the wrong cards being in the wrong deck and it just kind of to me like like did they they perhaps miss something i'm not really it's it's hard to you know it's hard to grasp because they don't even touch on deck building at all so yeah we're going to get to some of the harsher things in just a second. The penultimate adventure in the campaign presents an opportunity to lose the entire campaign. This concept seems to pervade through all future campaigns as well. Meaning that if you didn't succeed, you were barred access from playing the last scenario in the campaign. A bit of a bummer if you paid 12 quid for it and have to play seven scenarios all over again just to have a chance at having a go. Of course, you could cheat and say that you have one or you could play it in standalone mode. But both of those options feel a little bit cheap. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think it's a, it's a difference between, say, I mean, Where Doom Awaits was a very controversial scenario when it was released. And, and I think that's probably the most egregious example of it, where, I mean, you fail that and your campaign ends. Now, other campaigns, your investigator can die. 
but the campaign doesn't necessarily end. Mm -hmm. Right. Like your investigator is killed or driven insane, but you can still continue the campaign. You know, you just pick up another investigator and you're good to go. Like I'm trying to think of other you know, other instances where the campaign simply ends. I think Black Stars Rise. Black Stars Rise is another one, yeah. I mean, I want to be careful mentioning these specific things just because as much as I joke about spoilers, I don't want to mention exact scenarios where you can end the campaign because there's people that are playing that don't know. True, good point. Um I mean, but they, they did mention it in their review regarding one of, you know, one of them being the penultimate one for Dunwich. Um, you know, I agreed with them there. I said, I was thinking like, you know, I wish some scenarios didn't just outright do that. I really, I, I 100% agree with them because it's like, if you bought that final, if you bought the whole campaign as one, and then you're, you suddenly realize that you can't play the last one to continue your current story, you'd have to replay everything or just play it as a standalone. It's, um, it is disheartening. Um, has anyone here ever played? Has anyone here played Doom, the video game? Yeah. yeah did you ever? Did you ever play? Did like you ever play God Mode? What's that? Did you ever play God Mode on Doom, where all of a sudden you could just walk through walls and kill everything and nothing hurt you? No. Well, it's kind of like playing poker without money. You're just like, oh, okay, whatever. I do feel like like campaign ending scenarios or perma deaths or really hard scenarios give the victory its bittersweet win. I do feel like when you really suffer, just like in Lovecraftian stories, when you really experience difficult scenarios or game enders and being punched in the gut when your character is removed a few, you know, scenarios in, I think it feels that much better when you win. I think my my main issue with it is is not so much that the existence of these scenarios. It's that I think they have a, a certain perspective on replayability that I don't share. They seem to view that, okay, so we played this scenario and we lost, so we have to replay the entire campaign. And to do anything else would be cheating. And I disagree with that. Like, I, w- I will play the same scenario a dozen times. If if you want a better, if you want to play a better, you know, the next scenario, just replay the one yeah, you're on. Just hit F nine. I don't understand. Like I don't understand the. I can understand where they feel like okay, it would be cheating if we just played this again. But why not? I mean, it's it's your game. You can play it however you want. Is it? Is it cheating though? Uh, <clears throat> I see both your points. I actually do not play it again. I I restart a campaign from scratch yeah and that's a that's a perfectly legitimate legitimate way of doing it but i I don't think it's one that that everyone shares i mean it some people will say okay i i failed this campaign so i'm going to have to start at square one other people like me will say okay i failed this scenario so i'm going to play it again and possibly again and again until i get until i achieve a certain level of success and then i'll move on yeah and i really only like I only do that like you know if I'm playing off camera and I want to like try a deck out or I want to you know go through a campaign you know like I was playing solo Carolyn through Return to Dunwich and again I was at Where Doom Awaits and yeah there was just one particular instance I just drew nothing but enemies and got bogged down and I was like yeah I'm just gonna restart this and try it again and I managed to beat it and like I don't 
it didn't feel like a hollow victory to me. So I don't, I just don't disagree. I don't agree with the premise, especially when you get very unlucky. I mean, at times it's like, no, that was way too unlucky. Let's play it where it, it would have been a normal pull of bad things, you know, not an overwhelming amount of bad things because that can happen, right? You lose in two rounds and it's like, okay, come on, <laughs> let's do this again. Yeah. And maybe, maybe that's just because a most of us are solo players, so, you know, there's, like, there isn't a group of people that we're, we're held to a standard with, so to speak. You know, like, in a multiplayer group, I think it might be harder to convince them to try to replay the scenario or something. If, you know, one person is of Nathan's opinion and they don't want to do it, then you might have a harder time convincing them to do that. But, yeah, I I find it strange that they they don't find the scenarios to be replayable because they they make a point if i replay a scenario to get a better outcome that's not fun i'm just applying past mistakes to make the right decisions but those right decisions no longer pose a challenge i'm just breezing through it what <laughs> like what the fuck i could play the, the freaking the gathering <laughs> i could play the gathering at a moment's notice and that's you could argue the most jejune simple of all of the adventures and but the the replay with different decks and different uh, outcomes different, and different number of players i mean you you bring up really good points and i think that goes back to the narrative storytelling role-playing aspect of it you know if you're not if you're not seeing the game in that way if you're seeing it as just mechanics maybe but even then there's still an argument for yeah it's still replayable but if you don't forget the game, to return to the night of the zealot boom mic dropped <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, just uh, just one final point on that. I, I, I sort of feel like when I listen to them talk about the replayability of scenarios and, and how campaigns are supposed to unfold, I sort of feel like, you know, they want to experience the story. That is their primary interest in the game. Hmm. Yeah. And, and so they want to be able to play it once and they want to be able to succeed and they want to be able to have a conclusion. And so, so any, any sort of any barrier to that is, is considered bad. So I I think that's where they're like, they, they want to be able to play it once they want to be able to succeed and they want to be able to say, okay, we, we finished, we finished the Dunwich legacy campaign in one go. We didn't have to replay anything. We didn't have to go back. Etc. Etc. Yeah, I got that too. I just think they're going about it the wrong way in terms of experiencing the story because they part. And I don't have the time for it, the timestamp for it, but in part of the video they mentioned that the trope's been overdone, that Lovecraft has been overdone, and all this stuff. So clearly they're very familiar with Lovecraft at this point is what they're you know claiming to say. So then they should know that in most of Lovecraft stories. You don't the the protagonist doesn't really win. They go insane. They get killed, or whatever happens. You know, um, it's just they're narrating their experience with the mythos. So whether you win or lose, uh, quote end quote, the story still got told. It, you go from the beginning of the campaign to the end, and a story was told about how Azadoth came and you know just you know woke up and just everything disappeared and was destroyed but I, I think that they don't grasp that concept well i think there's a point where where elaine makes the point that it's time for the arkham horror 
like Arkham Horror games in general to just do away with that. The tropes of Lovecraft. That that whole losing the game is the game is against you. You're going to lose sort of thing. But now more than ever, the campaign structure of the Path to Carcosa made me realize that maybe it's time for Arkham to unburden itself of this tired old robe. Okay, Lola, <laughs> you touched on it earlier, man from Lang. At 20 minutes and 11 seconds in the video, they go into Lola Hayes. Enter stage Fright Lola Hayes, a character that lets you dip into the entire card pool without restriction, whereas usual characters can only select from two of the game's five colours. Though she has other restrictions. Lola Hayes is an actress and as such, much like celebrities who have played doctors, she can accomplish anything like spinal surgery. Yeah, I think this is this is one of the unforced errors that they make and, and I think it just shows their their unfamiliar unfamiliarity with the game and certainly if I was to pick up the path to Carcosa and I mean I was I played Lola as soon as she was spoiled and and to suggest that Lola is a great solo investigator because she has access to the entire card pool is is uh I don't I'm I mean it's misleading right it's Lola is one of the more is probably the most if not the most difficult uh, investigator to play in any format and she is particularly difficult in solo because she does not have particularly good skills she can have all, all the access to the cards she wants but her the way her mechanics works makes her very difficult to play you have access to all those cards but you cannot play all those cards and she is an investigator that many people bounce off of pretty hard and they don't want to play her and i feel the same way you know i can i completely understand why people don't want to play her because she can be headache inducing because you have to really think hard when you play her you have to be not only thinking about this turn, but you have to be thinking about a turn ahead, which is not the case with with many of the other investigators. And so to sort of hold up Lola and say that, okay, if you thought playing so like they sort of and at the same time, they sort of say, well, there's Ashcan Pete and then there's Lola. And I'm like, give me Ashcan Pete any day. over Lola. <laughs> Thank you very much. You know, it's. Yeah, and and Lola's not just hard to play, like, because she's, you know, uh, hard to be successful with. She's also hard to play because she has very advanced mechanics. Like, you have to know your timing windows. You have to plan that properly, switch roles. There's a lot more to keep track of when you play as Lola. And, you know, Matastrophic, a member of the community, he has his own YouTube channel. He almost exclusively plays Lola, and he he has figured her out, you know, but that's a very rare exception Lola is definitely an advanced investigator. And even people who are really good at the game don't like using her. Yeah, mechanically, she's she's a lot more sophisticated than the other investigators. Like you say, you need to know your timing windows. And and I guess the if you if you have just picked up the core set and you have read the learn to play guide, learn, um, timing windows are not in the learn to play guide. You have to read the rules reference to gain that. So if you pick up Lola, just having played the core set, you are in for a bad time. Yeah, and they make a rep misrepresentation with that too. They say you can have any card from any card pool without restriction, and that's not true. There's not, there is restrictions. 
you can all, you you have to have a minimum of seven cards from at least three card pools, right? Something like that. So there's restrictions. I mean, that's misrepresented there as well. Mm-hmm. And it's it's funny too because when they're when they're talking about Pete and they're talking about Lola, they mention how in a solo game, you know, you're forced to to do pretty much everything, and that it's better it's better to be a master at something than to be a generalist at everything. But that's exactly what Lola is. She's a generalist at everything. Yeah. It's kind of like Jenny in that regard. You know, her three stats kind of limit what she could do. And her deck building is much more of a chore than I think it is a boon for a lot of, a lot of beginning players. Yeah. I I just, I think they make, they, I think the Lola using Lola was a very bad choice on their part, just because, She's very sophisticated, and it's not quite as simple as just you get all the cards. You can play with all the cards. It's there's a lot more to it than that, and and people who see that and say, okay, well, if I was having trouble with the core set and I pick up Path to Carcosa so I can play Lola, all my woes will be answered. Yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's also a little bit of a they haven't played it as much as we have moved because on the surface, if you're like, oh, I can play a variety of cards. That's different than, okay, wait a second, crisis of identity. Wait, hold on, back up just a moment. Yeah, it was a very strange choice, especially when they, like you said, they had Ashcan Pete right there. He could have just said something along the lines of, well, you know, Pete isn't very good at fighting himself, but with his ally Duke, he is. And, you know, they could have, like, gone into detail at that point about how, like, you could have built an entire deck around Pete and Duke and you know his ability to discard cards to ready Duke again and yeah. it's very strange they decide to go with the most complicated misleading investigator in the entire game uh, I, and I agreed with all of that uh, I really didn't it was well said um, I don't know if anyone caught it but I thought it was interesting I don't know the gentleman's name I think it's interesting that he launched into this really he, he made it a lot bigger than it had to be, but when he was like, you know, another thing that I that bothers me in, in the Carcosa campaign. This lackadaisical approach to mental health issues continues as we explore the scenarios further. Soon we discover an enemy type, which is simply a person that has the tag lunatic, a term that's out of place now, and as revealed by a minimal amount of research, wasn't that widely used at the time when this game was set either. Now, granted, I like possess just a tiny bit more, but at the same time, it's not that far removed. And you could have just said, hey, he said this, it was a little trope or whatever, but you know, this might have been cooler. Instead of just once again going for those words that were to elicit a reaction and just be hurtful. I don't know. I, I felt that was unnecessary. Well, the game is about the game is a horror game about people who go insane when they try to comprehend otherworldly entities that are beyond our comprehension. If it was a game that was seriously attempting to address the mental health issues of our day, then, and they included things like lunatic, then obviously I would not support that. But this is a horror game that talks about insanity. And so... I, I'm not too sure. I'm, I mean, I know they've they've discussed this in other reviews as well, where they have they have tackled the sort of appropriateness of the subject matter, and 
sure, I mean, you can make that argument, but to me, it seems somewhat misplaced here because I mean, the game is not about is not trying to be accurate to, to mental health concerns. It's, it's a horror game about insanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you, man, from Lang. like, like I don't disagree like there's really nothing to disagree about like it's it's just his opinion and he's like not wrong for having that opinion i guess but but like uh like nathan was saying earlier is that he he tends to like make these really kind of like just snide remarks like he says that he's not going to bash the developers because other developers don't take the same sort of caution which to me just feels pretty backhanded he was referring um, to the the amount of research they did because the word lunatic wasn't widely used, but the the word which, still existed. So he made a big point. Yeah, which thing. is just not true, <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah. I mean, sure, it may not have been used in the UK, where the you know where no pun included is is from, but you know that that word was a legal word up until 2012 uh, in the United States. So. It was most certainly used, and especially in that that time era. It, it, it's kind of like like they nitpick that word, but they don't nitpick the word asylum. It's just it's just strange, and I think what Man from Lang said kind of encapsulates it perfectly. Like it's just it just feels misplaced. It's like the game, like Man from Lang said, it's about horror and it's about dealing with insanity, and it's not it's not trying to tackle social political issues like that. Do you think, uh, Nathan, do you think that, cause they mentioned that basically madness is whittled down to some punchlines quote end quote. Do you think that the game puts madness in that, in that light where they're just punchlines for, for part of the game? I mean, you could argue both sides. Um, overall, no, at times they, they do apply it, but also to add, add context and, and, flavor for the scenario um that kind of pulls me into one more comment i wanted to make though about you know lunatics slash madness when they talked about the carcosa campaign i i'm pretty darn sure if i remember correctly that most people like the carcosa campaign if not as their favorite as one of their favorites and they said that um it was fairly unimaginative and the choices are random puzzles that don't come together. Um, and they kind of liked how the different pathways went as far as what you chose, but that when you did choose one, you were then <clears throat> beaten in the face and pummeled and stopped. So once again, I feel like that is all accurate if you're very new to the game and to the scenario and that's your first impression and you give up if that makes any sense yeah um yeah that to me sounds like that to me sounds like they went conviction and then they had to play phantom of truth maybe i'm wrong but that's like that was kind of the implication that i got from from that comment his character weakness is shell shock and his unique card is a picture of who we presume is his ex-partner that he looks at whilst he physically hurts himself to push further these are two serious mental health conditions and whilst i absolutely believe that games should explore serious subjects like mental health arkham reduces everything to a punchline when they made that comment about uh you know mental health being a punchline 
They said it in reference to Mark Harrigan and his mechanics, how he hurts himself in order to, you know, when he remembers his sweetheart or family member or daughter, whatever she is to him. Um, so it's his wife, I believe. Yeah, or his wife. Anyway, yeah. um, in in the context of Mark Harrigan is where they mentioned the punchline thing. So, do you think that that's changed now? Do you think that you still agree with that, with some of what they said there, or do you think that? Um, I, personally, I think the Mark Harrigan thing is handled with tact. I don't think that it is a punchline at all. But what what are your thoughts on it? Um, I mean, I I think that anything that is in Arkham Horror, the card game, that's that's along those lines, I think no matter what it is, they're going to see it that way. And I don't think there's any any amount of argument that you could make that would that would change their opinion otherwise. I mean, that being said, I agree with you, Face. I don't think it is. Um, to, to bring back the specific example of Mark Harrigan, you know, his his whole backstory is that he's a soldier from World War One. And that his his weakness is supposed to be a representation of, you know, what he saw in the war. And I don't, yeah, I don't see how that's a punchline. Like, it's not, like, supposed to be a comedic thing in the game. And the game isn't really, like, funny. So I, I just don't understand where that comes from. There are horrible situations that are so over the top they can be comical. Yeah. But they're so, not presented in a comical way. Just as a player, sometimes I find it, like hilarious that you're you know beaten and beaten and beaten (laughs) to a pulp but that's not that's not the game making fun of it or you know making it a joke or anything so um nathan you mentioned the path to carcosa um (laughs) man from lang do you think that's that hard of a of a campaign no as as they presented it no i i mean it, there's there's so many variables that go into it. I mean, I've had I've always enjoyed the the Path to Carcosa campaign when I've played it, and I think it has it has a lot of interesting choices to make. Again, I think I think their their primary complaint comes down to they they want to experience the story and succeed, and the path they chose they did not succeed and so then they went back and read the other choices and went oh if we'd gone this way it would have been so much easier it's just like well you could replay it but i get the impression that that's not what they want to have to do they want you know they want to succeed on their first attempt and and mm-hmm. move on well i mean they even kind of clearly state that in the beginning of the review when they say that remember we do this so you don't have to. If you're interested in Arkham Horror, the card game, thanks to our diligence, you'll know exactly which cycles you should get. Which I think really kind of paints a paints a pretty biased perspective on your review if you're just going to say like, oh, well, we're going to play all these once and then we're going to poo-poo it and then that's going to be it. It's like, but like the issues that you have, you could just replay the scenarios, but... I mean, if they if they had saw if they had seen the the Discord thread about ahead of um, the uh, Iron Man when people did the Path to Carcosa Iron Man and people had developed spreadsheets to figure out the best path to go through, and some people chose conviction and some people chose doubt and they had their reasons for doing that and they had um, I can't remember which way we ended up going but you know we 
we said, well, we want to make one scenario easier, so let's go and do it this way. Other groups, they said, no, we that scenario is fine for us, but we want to achieve this other goal. So they went another way. And I think the, the beauty of that campaign is there are so many different ways that you can approach it, and all of them are all of them are legitimate. Do you think that part of their thoughts about the difficulty are because they think there's one or they thought of it as being just one right way to go? And since they love Dunwich and Dunwich is pretty linear, pretty straightforward, there aren't a lot of choices that you make that are going to, you know, other than the, you know, you get to decide which scenario you play first, whether it's the casino or the other one. Um, But there aren't too many choices that will veer you to different, completely different, you know, divergent storylines or parts of the story. Um, Do you think that that played a big role in their in their thoughts about Path to Carcosa as far as its difficulty? It's possible. I mean, I mean, Dunwich is is very much more linear than than Carcosa is, and and there are fewer choices to make. I mean, there there are there are a few in Dunwich that can affect the the long term the long term outcome of the campaign. But I think the the choices are amplified in in uh, Path to Carcosa by quite a bit. It'll be interesting. I'm curious to see what they have to say about about. TFA. Something like the Forgotten Age, where your choices at the beginning can have a can have a huge impact on how how the the campaign unfolds. Yeah, they're probably going to hate that campaign. I based if they if they dislike Path Path to Carcosa as much as they say they do, then I cannot see them enjoying enjoying Forgotten Age in the slightest. Yeah. They're gonna. I feel like they're gonna hate almost every portion oh, of man. it. <laughs> now watch when they put that one out. They're gonna be like, "It was the best." It was- <laughs> <laughs> well, they should at least try one of the return twos too, and uh, maybe for Dunwich Legacy, just to see what it does different. But I don't know if they'll play it anymore. No, they because they heard it wasn't very good. Um, yeah, I don't know. So overall, what? What are you guys, what are your thoughts, like your final thoughts regarding this review? Was it fair? Do you think that they, clearly we all kind of agree that it wasn't 100% fair, but what parts did you like best or what parts did you disagree with the most? Well, I think for me, um, their their criticisms of the corset are fair, I think. Um, and I think it's hard to say, like I, I feel like they, they had some sort of like expectation going into the game and and then they they didn't they weren't meeting that expectation and the game disappointed them in that regard and it I'm sort of at a loss of how to feel about it but I guess mostly just disappointed what about you man from Lane um I've always enjoyed Efka and Aline's work on on a lot of their their videos, and I've and whenever I see a new no pun included review, I always watch it and and I tend to enjoy them. I think this is the first time I've actually seen them review a game that that I've enjoyed or that I've played seriously, and and so it was. I guess I, I think I, at the beginning I said it was sad and disappointing, and and not so much because of what they had to say. Um, I mean, there are problems with the core set. I agree with that. There are, um, 
problems if if you run into these scenarios that end the game and you don't like that that's i can completely understand those issues my i guess i found it disappointing more because the i guess the the errors that they made in the review regarding some of the the card interactions and whatnot suggests to me that they've made similar errors in other reviews that i haven't that I haven't played the game. And so it sort of means all of their reviews now I have to treat with suspicion. I'm like, okay, I enjoyed this review, but do they actually know what they're talking about? And based on their, their, their review of Arkham Horror, I can't say that anymore. Like they my trust in them as reviewers has been somewhat diminished, I guess. And that's what I find that's what I find disappointing more than more than anything they had to say about the game itself. I mean, what they have to say isn't going to change my feelings towards the game. I mean, I've played hundreds of games and I'll probably play hundreds of games more and I will continue to introduce the game to friends and the people who I have introduced it to have enjoyed it. But when I, when I watch their reviews in the future, I'll be like, okay, the, this was really good, but did they get it right? And based on their Arkham Horror review, where they clearly did not get some things right, I'll have to to watch with a much more critical eye, I think. Nathan, what are your thoughts? No, and I agree. I mean, whenever whenever somebody pokes big holes in one of your games, not from an emotional standpoint, but from a logical standpoint, you're like, oh, I don't know how much I can trust them. I get that. Overall, um, I thought they they had good coverage of the game mechanics, the the way they went over how to play and they kind of set it up and talked about it. I was refreshingly surprised. I was like, okay, a lot of that makes sense. I I appreciate how they explained this or how they showed this with pictures and the camera. Um, And they had good humor. But I I don't think you could take them for face value like Man From Lang was saying when they say we've done a really in-depth review of this. I think a lot of their reviews should be seen as just casual reviews where you get at least a taste or flavor of the game. But I couldn't put a lot of I couldn't build a you know a building on that foundation if that makes sense. Yeah, I think my my final thoughts on it. Um, I wish that they would have, you know, with a game that's this popular at least. Not every game, but with a game that's as popular as Arkham Horror is, that they would have at least kind of felt the temperature with the rest of the actual Arkham Horror communities. Um, You know, so they can get a better idea regarding things like recommending Lola as a solo investigator or, you know, the difficulty of certain campaigns. Because there is a chance, I mean, it's a common question in most of the threads where, whether it be Facebook, Reddit, Discord, where a new player is always going to, is always asking, am I doing this wrong? Am I playing this the right way? And I feel like them... Uh, clearly, or they clearly have played certain things wrong. Maybe they should have gotten a little bit of advice on that as well. But, you know, poo-pooing certain things, specifically Path to Carcosa, when over 90% of the community, you know, really feels that that's one of the top three, some, some even say the top campaign overall in the entire game. And as far as difficulty, one of the easiest ones, I feel like they maybe should have gotten a feel for uh, so those kind of aspects of the game from the rest of the community before making the, those kind of recommendations. Because you can make a review in two ways. You can make a review as if you were a brand new player and experiencing it as it's coming to you and say, 
you know, and then and then as a new player, you might you might watch that review and be like, oh, this is how I would feel playing this game. Cool. That would be a little bit more uh, acceptable, I think. But they didn't come at it from that direction. They came at it from the direction of here's here's our expert opinion as expert reviewers of board games. This is the game. This is how it is. This is the difficulty. Blah 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 blah. And when they approach it in that direction, if since they didn't get a feel for it from the rest of the community, I think they ended up with a very very faulty review. Yeah, I think one of the other um, final issues that kind of worries me about this series of campaigns is that it seems to be uh, attempt to like rank the campaigns on like a some some sort of like basis which seems sort of confusing to me because the campaigns are very different you know by and large like you know dunwich offers a very different experience from carcosa and carcosa offers a very different experience from tfa and i think that trying to quote you know find the best campaign or the best expansion is sort of a, a fool's errand right like you know what what is the best for one person what is the best for another is going to depend you know very wildly on your circumstances so it just i just feel like the reviews kind of coming at it from a, a really strange and i would say wrong direction well i think i think that's a good point i think when you when i when i sort of watched it at the beginning it's it sort of seemed to me that the the reason for re-reviewing it was to say okay we didn't give this a good review in the first place, but it seems really popular, so we're going to re-review it again. We are going to play it all, and we are going to tell you, if you want to play this, which is the best campaign to pick. And if you look at it strictly from that perspective, you're going to be missing a lot of, um, a lot of the player cards because the player cards come out in each expansion pack. So there are cards in those packs that are going to help. Um, like if you play Mystics without any of the cards from, from Dunwich Legacy, you're going to have a tough time because there are some great Mystic cards. There are great cards for every class in that campaign. So if you simply ignore it and say, okay, they said this campaign was bad, so I'm not going to buy any of the products from that campaign, then you're missing out on all the player cards from that campaign as well. Same with Path to Carcosa. It's like, okay, they basically shredded Path to Carcosa and said, it's bad. Okay, so nobody buys it. Okay, so nobody buys the player cards that may actually be helpful. I'd have to bring up a list and look at the player cards, but I imagine there are some pretty pretty fantastic player player cards in that uh, that set. I mean, one that comes to mind, Stick to the Plan. I mean, I can't imagine playing Guardians without Stick to the Plan. Key of Yeast is in Car- Path to Carcosa too. So. Key of Yeast, if you, if, if you just ignore all those packs and say, well, I'm not going to buy them because these reviewers told me this campaign was bad, then you're missing out on deck building options. And that's ultimately what the game is about. It's a deck building game. And to kind of go on that point too, man, from like, like the whole review, like, misses that aspect entirely so so essentially they're like missing 20 percent of the entire pack per per well it'd be cool too if they said buy the deluxes to get more explorers or more investigators and also try try the first bit out and see what you think as a player Uh yeah so i mean the review is definitely not a complete review because they miss half the game in the deck building and the player cards and the other huge portion of the game with standalones and return tos i mean they're still part of the game so 
yeah. I'm <laughs> personally, I'm curious to see what they're going to say in the second one, because in that they're going to be looking at the Forgotten Age, which, which has, uh, I've already been quite vocal about my, my opinions on, on the problems with that campaign. Um, the Circle Undone, I mean, as a, as a predominantly solo player, the Circle Undone is a brutal campaign. Because there are certain scenarios in that that are nigh unbeatable as a solo player. So stuff like that is, and, and then of course, Dream Eaters, which I, I have not completed the campaign yet. But so it's, it's going to be interesting. And then of course, they raise the specter that they are going to be talking about Lovecraft in gaming, which that's a... A whole other kettle of fish, and that can only end one way. And that's only going to end one way. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, in, I get the impression from them that they don't particularly like, um, the Cthulhu mythos. As I, I guess that they think it's been overdone, and that's entirely possible. If you review as many board games as they do, then you've probably seen these tropes time and again, and you're tired of them. But the Arkham's a, it, Arkham's different than like. Like the the LCG is much different than like Arkham Horror Third Edition, for instance, or like Cthulhu Death May Die. Like th- those games are, I think they're trying to evoke something different. You know, they're they're much less story driven. I mean, Arkham Third kind of is, but but the card game is you know like Vase was saying earlier, it's a much more narrative driven story game, and I think by but just flat out saying that you don't particularly care for any of the campaigns, um, you know that they you're, you're you're doing a disservice to the story of those campaigns. I think too, and I think you're also missing out on. I mean, they they do mention standalone mode briefly, but I mean that's how I play a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. That's how I play a lot too, and I think that's how a lot of people do enjoy the game. I mean. They, they may play a campaign the first time and say, okay, you know, I did, I did well or I, I got beat. And then they'll go back and they'll just play the, the scenarios that they enjoyed. But I think standalone, you know, I think maybe they don't want to review it because standalone, like playing standalone means that you'd have to build a deck. And clearly they don't, it seems like they don't like that aspect of the game. So it's just, yeah, it's just strange to me why you'd, you know, play a deck building Cthulhu game if you don't like deck builders or you don't like Cthulhu games. You know, which is fine if they state that. Like, hey, we like the story, like Man from Lang said, and people agreed. We like the flavor. We don't really do a lot with the deck building. So there's a whole part of this that we're not going to really review, but, you know, but I don't think they want to poke that hole in their theory or their review because then it'll make them look bad. Yeah, which is which is interesting considering the the first during their first review, I think Efka, one of the things he did like was the the uh, experience point cost on cards, and saying how okay, like most games, you just want to play the best cards you possibly can in your deck, but this game basically says okay, you can do that, but only once you've gained some experience points. But in this review, they sort of ignore the the deck building component of it and simply focus on the campaigns themselves which i i i would agree that that's sort of you're taking half the game you're reviewing half the game at that point
Well, uh, I think that's going to do it for today's discussion, guys. It's uh, certainly been an interesting one. Um, yeah, I've been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with, as always, my lovely fellow co-hosts. I'm the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. Can I be pretty instead of lovely? Sure. I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin from the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Stay on topic, please. That's rude to just go. <laughs> anyway, this has been Nathan from Arkham Horror Images of Madness on Instagram. We love you. Let us know on our Discord how you guys feel about the review and what your thoughts are on the different aspects that we discussed. And uh, make sure that you check out uh, Nate, uh, Nate and uh, Vase's article on FFG's website. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, and before we sign off entirely, uh, Vase, you had a special little giveaway, did you not? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> for those who stay behind, uh, I'm giving away a copy of Blood of Balshandor. How do you pronounce it? Balshandor? Um, I believe it's Balshandor. Which includes... <laughs> Balshandor. Uh, includes... It's a novella from FFG uh, featuring uh, Dexter Drake, the new mystic investigator. And there is an investigator card along with his signature, alternate signature and alternate weakness in with the novella i'm giving it away uh to a lucky listener just go into your email and type carolyn for the botanist at gmail.com and email me which uh future ffg product you're looking forward to the most so any of the ones that have been announced or maybe ones that haven't been announced and let me know which ones you're anticipating the most it's really good too blood of belshandor uh is well written Really evokes the horror. Great mystique. Loved it. And the cards are phenomenal. So really worth that three seconds you can email. I believe you described it as magical last episode. (laughs) Did you? I don't remember you saying that. I believe that's that's a verbatim quote. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you soon.